Welcome to Teach Me How to Money. I'm your host, Jeremy. On this week's episode, we'll be talking with real estate expert Natalie Morris. But before we get to the interview, our jargon hack this week is mortgage. Wait, everyone knows what a mortgage is, right? Wrong. Plenty of people are confused about them. A mortgage is a form of debt that allows you to buy a house or some other property if you don't have all the cash necessary to do so. You can get one from a bank, a credit union, or a company that specializes in mortgage loans. And while you can move into your house once you have a mortgage, technically, it's not really yours until you've paid it off. The lender has what's known as a lien on your home and can take possession of it if you aren't paying your mortgage or you get seriously behind on the payments. The most common kind of mortgage is called a 30-year mortgage, and it gives you 30 years to pay off the loan. Another type of mortgage is also called a 15-year mortgage, which, yeah, you guessed it, gives you 15 years to pay off the loan. Every mortgage comes with an annual percentage rate, or APR. That's the interest you'll pay over the life of the loan. There are fixed-rate mortgages, which means the interest rate stays the same for the life of the loan. There's also something called a variable-rate mortgage, which means the interest will move up and down as the federal benchmark interest rate changes. Here's something that's good to know. You can also get a mortgage for a piece of machinery or some other movable property. But homes are the biggest purchases most consumers make. It's best to read up thoroughly on mortgages before applying for one. So that's our jargon hack for the week. Now let's get to the interview. Investing, a rewards-based spending account, educational tools, and more. Stash helps you maximize your financial potential. Use promo code PODCAST10 when you sign up to get $10 placed in your new investment portfolio. Ever wonder why home buying seems so expensive and out of reach? Today we'll be speaking with Natalie Morris. She's an investing and real estate expert who was formerly an MSNBC news anchor, and she's also written for Consumer Reports, Wired, Variety Magazine, Market Watch, TechCrunch, and many other publications. Today we'll be talking about why home buying seems so difficult. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. All right. So, Natalie, tell us a little bit about your background. What makes you an expert in home or property buying? Uh, you have a company that specializes in it. Yes, I do. But really, it was born out of my own need to take better control of our finances when I was first married and we had a small child. I found myself after maternity leave without the job that I had left, so I had to really reinvent myself. My husband and I then moved out of New York City and into the suburbs, and while I was looking for my next job, I was really confused about my role as sort of this former news anchor, now mm-hmm. current stay-at-home mom. I got pregnant again with our second child shortly thereafter. And so I felt like like there was just, you know, like someone had just slammed on the brakes on my earning potential. And I just didn't know how to find my worth. Sure. Um, as I was seeking out what I should be doing with my time in between playdates and nap times and stalking my agent for the next <laughs> job, I found myself online sort of looking around and really confronted with a lot of messaging about how stay-at-home moms should shrink the budget or, you know, spend less, how to shrink your life down, how to make sure that you're budgeting, you can feed your family on $10 a year, kind of these crazy, like, extreme couponing. Compression budgets and things like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. And I hated that. I felt like it made me feel small. It reminded me that the money that was coming into my house had Clayton Morris on the pay-to line Mm -hmm. and not Natalie Morris. And Clayton is your husband. 
Clayton's my husband. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I guess you could work that out, but I should have been clear about it. <laughs> no, that's fine. So it made you feel like you weren't really participating in, in the Right. Room. It just made me feel like an administrator in my family. Like, okay, I balance the checkbook and I know the password to the utility companies and I pay those bills. But I wasn't building anything. I wasn't involved in any wealth building. There was no money in my name coming into the house. And I just really didn't like it. So one day I was sitting at my desk while my son was napping and I was pregnant with my daughter. And I thought to myself, okay, if there's no paycheck with Natalie Morris on the page two line, then what I'm going to do instead of become an extreme couponer, I'm going to become an extreme wealth builder. And I'm going to be so good with personal finance that my efforts are equal to another paycheck not my efforts shrink our life down so we don't need another paycheck. And I feel like so many people have that choice and they have that fork in the road and then they decide, well, I'll be really useful by, you know, shrinking shrinking my life. And it just, you cannot, you can only shrink your life so much and you can't really save your way to wealth. That's a misnomer. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I sat down and I took out my balance sheet. So exp- explain to our listeners what a balance sheet is. Yeah. Yes, I will. So this is something my dad made me do from the age of 12 years on, is you create a list of everything you own in this world that you could sell for something, right? So it could be your house, your car, your wardrobe, your artwork. Um, it can't be a person. It can't be, you know, it could be like another living thing I could think of if you owned a horse that you could mm-hmm. sell because it's a prize winning horse or something like that, right? Um, it could be a patent. Maybe you have a patent on some surgical knife or whatever, right? But whatever it is you've got that has value that you could trade for, right? Monetary value. Then you add that up. That's your asset list. Then you make a list of all of your liabilities. What do you Oh, in this world. So I just wanted to clarify here. These are these were you for you personally or for your entire family that you're making. Well, this I list? had one for me personally. I have always kept a personal budget. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about here in this instance the one that you made for yourself or for your for your family or was Well, I I was making them yearly for myself. But at this junction that I'm talking about where I'm a young mom, a new wife, I had not done this for my family yet. Um, I was very proud about keeping our money separate. I didn't want to, um, you know, I wanted to always pay like my portion of certain utilities. And that just doesn't work when one person is not earning a paycheck. And so I said, okay, I have to know what we're working with as a family. So I took my personal balance sheet and then made one for my family. So what I did was take a look at that balance sheet and say, where can I do better with one thing on this list. Now, what I chose was something from the asset column. And what was that? What asset was that? We had some stock accounts that had been rolled over from old 401ks. And so I decided that I was going to learn to do better with those because now they were in IRAs. They had used, they before were in 401ks. And so it felt like a safer place to begin to make investments because it wasn't money we were living on Mm -hmm. at that time. So I taught myself... Um, At the time, I had a freelance contract with CNBC, so I would go in and do some reporting for them. And then when I would leave, I would walk past the book pile because people always send finance books into network news, um, specifically CNBC. And I would just pick something out like, I want to read this, I want to read this, I want to learn this. And then I really taught myself the language of money 
Right. So how did you get to housing from this? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious how we get to housing from this. Um, It became this sort of leap where we started to invest in ETFs. And it just, you know, they were growing nicely. The market was doing pretty well. This was around 2013, 2014. And then my husband started to listen to real estate investing podcasts. Ah, okay. He had always been interested in real estate, but both of us had made, I, w- I don't want to say they were bad investments, but we had made investments in the wrong way. Neither of us had taught ourselves the ins and out of real estate investing at all. Um, And so we started to listen to these podcasts and we're like, man, we really did it wrong. We didn't have to lose money on those deals. We Mm -hmm. didn't have to, you know, manage our properties ourselves. There was just so much to learn. And so he would mow the lawn. He worked, uh, he was a network news anchor as well. He anchored the show on the weekends. So Monday through Friday, he would be walking around the neighborhood or mowing the lawn and listening to real estate podcasts. And so he got really fired up about it. And we both decided we would revisit that seminal book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had been exposed to it before, but um, and he had read some of the other ones too, but it was just like the right time and place for us where I was in a more wealth-building-minded position. He had the time and the renewed spark of wanting to be in real estate. And we were equipped with what we could use, our balance sheet, so we knew what we had to work with and how to get there. Um, that's not to say we hadn't made mistakes. We made some mistakes when we got started as a team. But uh, our first investment as a family did pretty well. I mean, there were things I, sh- I would have done differently. What was Did you buy a house, an apartment building? Or we did. did? Yeah. We bought two single-family houses mm-hmm. in Dearborn, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit, And we renovated them. We didn't even have a contractor at the time. My husband flew out and he found a friend of a friend who could do it. And we paid this guy, you know, in two installments. And then we found a property manager. And those houses we bought for about $34,000 each. We put about $20,000 into them. And then we got five-year leases on them with tenants at $800. So they were amazing returns, these two investments. So you were developing what's known as passive income through those properties. Exactly right. Yeah. And so we just got a taste for it. And we're like, wow, this is really great. So we slowly started to leverage the assets in our asset column in order to acquire more real estate. So what we did was we looked, what else is there that is not a cash-flowing asset And then how can we turn that into a cash-flowing asset? So here's one example. Our 401k, well, it was Clayton's 401k because I wasn't working, remember? So it was his 401k at the network was just chilling out there, invested in the stock market, right? Company matching. But that's not a performing asset we can live off of. We can't pay our groceries with. And it wasn't even performing anywhere near the properties that we had bought And we're like, well, we don't love this investment. Now, once you teach yourself the language of finance, you can't really be that impressed with the 401k. It's a mediocre product at best. My CPA calls it the way to partner with the government to invest in the (laughs) stock market. Because you get this tax-favored account that, you know, you put a portion of your gross income into, et cetera, and then hope for the best with returns. Yes, exactly. I mean, the government is incentivizing you to do what they want you to do, Mm -hmm. right? That's how the tax code is written. So what's the government incentivizing you to do here? Invest in the stock market because that is what makes a healthy country's economy, right? But I don't want to do that. That's just not my comfort zone. 
So what we decided to do was take a loan out of my husband's 401k for a one-year term and then buy another cash flowing property and we paid ourselves back that loan. Oh, so now we are the mm-hmm. lender. And, and right. one of the reasons you did that is because the loan you could take out at a very low interest rate, right? Right. But then we are paying ourselves. We are making that interest, hmm. right? Not a bank. It's us. So what we did was we got another cash flowing property. We paid back that loan with the rental income. Boom. We've got another property, right? And so that just became something where we learned to take these unorthodox ways to take something in the balance sheet that's not cash flowing and turn it into something that is. Because here's something that my accountant taught me that I think about a lot. If you have something in your asset column that does not cash flow, is that an asset? Uh, technically, no. It sounds like it isn't. It's not, right? A- an I mean, accountant, it sounds like it's basic money accounting would say that that is not an asset. So what does an accountant tell you to do? What do you learn in accounting school if you're running a business? I guess to sell that or something. You sell the asset or you pay off the liability, right? So you should not have a a business or a, a, which I'm going to advocate that you treat your wealth building as a business. If you want to get somewhere, if you've got a goal, Mm -hmm. right? A business should not have an asset on, on its books that does not cash flow. And it definitely should not have a liability on an asset that does not cash flow. Almost everybody has that. Hmm. We have cars. We have primary homes. My primary house does not cash flow, right? So what do I want to do? Either sell it or get rid of the liability. Hmm. So that's where our book comes in because we teach people how to basically like take a ninja sword to your the liability of your mortgage by getting in the driver's seat. And that's great. I love it. Uh, But I feel like we've put the cart before the horse a little bit here. And what I wanted to talk about is that first home buying purchase a little bit more, uh, because I think that's the level probably where most of our listeners are. It's like, God, you know, for instance, this week I was reading, you know, just how home buying is becoming more and more out of reach for most people for just so many different reasons. Prices for homes and apartments are going through the roof. Private equity firms are coming into a lot of places and buying chunks of housing in some areas. You know, more and more people are struggling with escalating costs, even of renting, so they can't transition to home ownership. So what's going on? What about for these people? How how about for for you know, people for whom home ownership seems so far out of reach, what's a first step? Well, what I would like to say is, why do you want that to add an uh, asset to your asset column that does not cash flow? So most people are going to take the majority of their savings and put it then in a primary house that does not cash flow, right? And then when they find themselves there, they're going to say, oh my God, how do I get out of this liability that is like a weight on my back? Your mortgage is probably the thing that makes you have to go to work every day. It Mm. makes you dependent on your lifestyle. So I think, you know, if I were to do it again, when we were just getting started out, I wouldn't have taken all of our savings and put it into the primary house because because then we had no assets, no true assets, right? Interesting, okay. Appreciation 
is not cash flow. So I actually wanted to follow up on that and ask you, you know, for someone who's just getting started here, how do you know when you're ready to do this? Like how much savings do you need? Uh, how many lenders do you need to speak to if um, you, you do need to secure a mortgage for a, a portion of the loan or a portion of the value of the, the home that you're buying uh, that will produce income for you? How do you know when you're ready for this? You're ready when you start to just do your research a little. You don't need cash to get started. You just have to be willing to learn. When we got started, my husband had a foreclosure on his record from when he before we got married. So and, and just describe what a foreclosure is for people who may not know what that means. It's so he had a house that he had gone underwater when he was in Florida, meaning it, meaning it was worth way less than he owed on the property, but he was transferred to New York and he couldn't sell that house for what he owed. And so he was trying to work with the bank, but then the mortgage crisis happened and the bank sold that note and he couldn't find who they had even sold it to because hmm. of, you know, the, the, you know what happened in yes, 2008, everything that happened in 2008, 2009. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, he had a for that foreclosure, meaning the bank marked him as an undesirable person to lend to because he had a huge mortgage that they had to sell out from under him, right? And so that meant for seven years that stayed on his credit record, we could not get a loan in his name. And uh, shortly after we bought our first home, I stopped working. So we couldn't get a loan on my credit either because mm. he had the job, but I had the credit score. So we had to teach ourselves all these unorthodox ways to invest in real estate because we had no traditional route. And you know what? It taught us how to be so resourceful. And that's what we teach people on our YouTube channel is all different ways that you can leverage what you've got, that you can find money, you know, to start investing. All you have to do is really just want to and have just like the, the willingness to learn something new. Great. Natalie, thanks so much. Actually, I wanted to get your help with a listener question. This person writes in to say, I'd love to save for a home, but I also need to pay off debt and save for retirement. So what would you recommend to that person? I would recommend to find a way to take that savings and put it into something that actually performs. Just you have to start thinking of making your money turned into nest geese, right? So I wouldn't say like, oh, I need to save for retirement. So I'm going to put it into some kind of safe bank product. Because once you start to run your numbers and really think about your retirement number, um, it really bothers me when I see commercials of people dragging some kind of fabric across a field and saying, this is my retirement number, meaning hmm. like, I must die at the dollars, end of yeah. this fabric, right? Mm -hmm. Like this represents your mortality. Wealthy people don't need money in some kind of chest. They have cash flowing assets. They're not worried about how much is in one place. They're worried about how much is cash flowing every day. And so I would just say, change that mindset because once you start to try and reverse engineer that fabric number, you'll realize that you cannot save your way to wealth. Okay, great. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've been speaking with Natalie Morris. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com and we'll try to answer them in a future episode. 
If you like what you're hearing, leave us your review in the Apple Podcasts app on Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Stash to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of Stash.